Well, good morning once again, everybody. Um, happy to have you with us on this wonderful Sunday. We're in the second part of, uh, of our series about uh, 2020. As we come into this new year, kind of seeing a vision for ourselves and, and for our lives. And last week, if you were here, we talked about that the first thing we need to, to, to talk about is, is focus. And, and where is your focus? And where is our focus? Oh, and they sit all these different little lenses in front of you, one after the other, one after the other. And it's all about focus, really. What, it's like, what do you focus on? What, what focus gives you the most clarity so that you can see everything perfectly clear? And, and for us, what we need to do this year is, is really to get our focus down, is really to zero in our focus on, and focus on the one who gives us life. Like our focus, if this year your focus is solely on Jesus and that's all you do, you don't do it, you don't try to lose weight, you don't try to do it. If you just focus on Jesus, you're gonna be better at the end of the year, I guarantee you. If we just zero in that focus. And so that's the most important thing is to see our focus and, and to zero in on who gives us life. Who, you know, it's Jesus through all things were created and all things are held together. And so that's our first thing. But then the next thing we need to do is we really need to, to look at the next thing that, that impacts our life in the world more than anything else. And we need to see our wake. What, what I mean by that is, is this, is um, I, I grew up on Lake Travis. We didn't live there. We've never lived in Austin, actually. Um, but we had a well-craft boat, a 17-foot well-craft ski boat. It's an old ski boat that we kept on Lake Travis my entire life. Um, and so I learned to water ski when I was three years old. I mean, we'd live in Lubbock. We would drive from Lubbock to Austin to go water ski, right? I mean, that's, anytime you can get out of Lubbock, though, is a good day. But, you know, and so, I mean, we do that. When we lived in Connecticut, we still had the boat in Austin, and we would fly down, and we'd spend, because all of our family was here, and we'd see, see family, whatever, because my mom and dad met at a ski club. Um, y'all got, I didn't share this with the other services, but my mom and dad met at the Dallas Ski Club. And skiing in my family is like how you meet the ladies, right? I mean, because it worked for my dad, and it's like, this is how we do it. This is why I exist. It's because my dad liked to ski. Um, and, and so we all learned, I learned to ski when I was three years old, both water and snow. But I mean, we, every one of us, he got us up on skis when we were three. And we'd start, and soon, there, soon thereafter, we'd also learn how to drive the boat. Uh, because driving the boat was just as important. And the reason was, is because my dad liked to ski more than any of us. Um, and so he's like, I'm not driving the boat all the time. I'm going to be out back. Um, the last time he skied, he was 80 years old. It's pretty impressive. Last time he got up on one ski, by the way. Uh, one ski, 80 years old. He had the keys to the car in his pocket, and uh, they, like, shorted out. So that's another story. But he was still 80, and he got up on one ski. It's pretty impressive. Um, but skiing for us is a big deal. Driving the boat for me became huge. My brother and sister were much better skiers than I was. I just was never great at it, but I loved to drive the boat. And one of the things, there's a few rules, a lot of rules, actually, my dad had when we were driving the boat and different things. But one of them, and, and you know if you're boater people, you, you will know this, and it, and it happens at every lake, and it happens down at the coast. Anywhere there are boats and water and boats on docks, this is going to happen. At some point, you're going to see some buoys, right? And behind those buoys where boats are stored, what is it called? The no-wake zone, right? You have to go in there, and that was very, my dad was very particular about this. Like, he would get on us about this. If we come through that, if we're coming from the lake, we better slow ourselves down way early enough so that when we cross that line, there is no wake. For those of you who aren't boater people, let me tell you what a wake is. A wake is whatever ripples and waves you leave behind you, 
right? So when a boat goes, it's going to displace water, and there's going to be some waves. The faster a boat goes, uh, you know, as a boat gets going, the engines gets really going, there's a whole lot of wake. So when you go into these areas, it's no wake. You should leave nothing behind you. But if you're like me, as soon as you, if you're leaving the dock, right, as soon as you get to the buoy, what do you do? Hammer down. Like that, right? Just hammer down as much wake as you could possibly get. In fact, the, be- the bigger the wake, the better. And if there's a boat coming in who has already slowed themselves down before and you could knock somebody off, best day on the lake ever, right? I mean, that, that's what you try to do. Just create the wake because the wake is where the fun is, right? I mean, and you, you wait till the, when you're coming in, you wait till the last second to just cut the engine off to have no wake whatsoever. The, the, the wake is what just shakes boats and it's just all this stuff. But here's the thing is, we leave a wake in our life, right? I mean, every single one of us, where, where we go, we, we leave a wake behind us. We leave these ripples in the water that, that affect other people. And, and the wake comes from what we watch. It comes from what we listen to. It comes from the places we go, the relationships we have, the things that we say. It comes from the way that we raise our kids or the way that we, uh, that, that we don't. It comes from the jobs that we have. It, it comes from everything that we do, but the greatest potential for wake, and, and wake is change, right? The greatest opportunity we have to affect change is through our jobs. And, and the reason I say that is because not everybody is going to have kids. Because some people will say, no, 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 the greatest legacy I'll ever have is my child. Uh, yeah, that's not the greatest one for the whole kingdom of heaven because not everybody has kids. Not everybody is married. But every single one of us is called to something. Every single one of us has an opportunity to affect change by what we do. Every single one of us has the ability to change the world and to bring the kingdom of heaven by the things that we, we can leave awake for the kingdom of God by how we operate in this world. And so I think the second thing that we really need to focus on, that we really need to see is we need to see our wake. We need to see those places where we have influence, those places where we're leaving a mark or, or maybe not, those places where we have an opportunity to do something and maybe those opportunities where we pull back on the throttle. We, we all have been given a calling. We've all been given a job. And, and work, you know, and when we start talking about work and some of you are too young to work in here, some of you are too old, some of you just shouldn't be working at all, you know, you should be removed from that thing, but, you know, so, some of us in here, you, not all of us have jobs, but, but work is important, and it's important to God, and in fact, God creates the world, right, and then he creates man and woman in his own image, and he creates this beautiful garden, and the first command he gives to Adam and Eve is to do what? It's to work. He's like, go into the garden and work it. Like, I, I I'm a working God. Six days I have worked and created everything. Now, one day I'm going to take a rest, and we'll talk about that in two weeks. But right now, it's about, he's a God who creates. And if we are made in the image of God, we should be creating. We should be, work, we should be leaving a wake behind us. That's the first command he gives to Adam and Eve. It was important to him. And the word he uses there, abad, is the Hebrew word. And abad, for, it's the Hebrew word for work, and it's the same word he will use later when he is describing the work that the priests do in the temple, because God sees it as worship. When we work, God is using the same word that Adam and Eve are going to do in the garden that he will use for the priests in the temple, because it's the same thing. When you work, you worship. When you work, you have the ability to affect change. You have the ability to leave awake that brings the kingdom of heaven. 
See, John the Baptist knew this as well, and and, and, and his job, his calling was to be the one who prepares the way, right? He's the guy out in the wilderness. He's on the Jordan River. He's a little crazy, JTB, as I affectionately call him. And, and he goes out there in the wilderness, and he's preaching that the kingdom of heaven is coming. He's preparing a way for Jesus. And he goes out there, and he's in the wilderness, and he, he's doing all this stuff, and, and people come to him, and they want to hear what his message is. And, and his message first is to repent, right? I mean, that's what he's preaching. He's like, man, Repent, and the, and the word repent there is like physically turn. Turn from the way that you're going and turn to God. It's like turn from the ways of this world, turn from the ways of yourself, and turn towards God. Repent, turn back to who he wants you to be, right? So he's preaching this message, and people finally start asking him like, how? How do we do this? Right, what does that look like? This is in Luke chapter three, if you wanna follow along is where, I'm in, where I am in. I think around verse 10 is where I'm going to pick up. But he's like, how do you do this? And he's like, okay, let me tell you how this looks. If you have two coats, give one to somebody who doesn't have one. If you have a whole lot of food, give some to people who are hungry. If you have more to drink than you need, give give it to someone else. In other words, what he's saying is the kingdom of God looks like loving other people. It looks like taking care of those who can't take care of themselves. It looks like sharing. It looks like love, sacrifice putting others before yourself. So he's preaching this message, and and clearly this is a message that was contrary to what was going on at the time. And and people keep coming to him, and they ask him how he does it. He explains how he does it, and here's the crazy thing, is when he's doing this, some tax collectors come. And tax collectors at this time are are evil people. Like, they're the lowest rung of society. Nobody likes them. And the reason is because they collect taxes, right? I mean, nothing has changed for 2,000 years. It's the same thing. No one likes the IRS. No one likes them. But see, it, contrary to what the IRS does, some of you may disagree with this statement, but these guys were evil. These guys were corrupt. And, and what they would do is, so these tax collectors were Jewish citizens who were set by the Roman authority to collect taxes to keep Rome moving, right? And so they would collect taxes from their, Jewish, their fellow Jewish citizens. But what they would do is they would collect the taxes for Rome but then because they had the power and authority to do so, they would collect more. They'd be like, and there's another $20 tax or 20 shekel tax for you because you're wearing blue today, right? And, and they would just create these crazy things and horrible things to make themselves rich. None of the other Jews liked them. There were these people who were just despised. And the fact that they were coming out here a prophet was amazing. And so they come to John the Baptist and they're like, hey man, what do we have to do? And John's like, and you would think John would say, stop being a tax collector. Stop it. But that's not what he says. He, he says, hey, only collect the taxes you're supposed to. Like, just do your job, man. Stop, stop pressing your fellow citizens. Stop pressing your cousins and your family and all that. Just collect what you're supposed to. And then, if the tax collectors were enough, some soldiers came up. Some soldiers come to him too, and they're like, hey, hey, what do we have to do? And so, so, okay, so soldiers, if you don't get what soldiers do, they keep order. And these soldiers, they probably would not have been Roman soldiers because a Roman soldier wouldn't have come out to a Jewish prophet in the middle of the wilderness. They're probably Jewish soldiers. But the Jewish soldiers were the ones who were the one enforcing the laws of the Pharisees. They're not good guys either. And they come out there and they're like, hey, man, what do we have to do? And you would think that John the Baptist would say, hey, Stop being mean to your fellow Jews. 
Stop extorting money from, just stop it. Stop being a soldier and go do something else. But no, he says, hey, you're a soldier? Be a good soldier. Don't take advantage of your position. You get a salary. Be content with your salary. Stop extorting money. Stop making false witness. And and this is a common practice of the soldiers of the day. It's like just, you have a job. Let it be an extension of your faith. Because that's what John is really, really going towards. Because he's, he's driving this whole repentant message. And then he comes into, well, what does the kingdom of God look like? And then people are asking, okay, well, how do I live in this kingdom of God if I'm a tax collector or a soldier? It's like, hey, man, just let your faith come out in how you tax collect. Let people know who God is and how you soldier. Whatever it is that you do, you can do so for the glory of God. Like, like, if you have a job and, and your job is, is in IT and you're a computer person, great, you're smarter than the rest of us. We don't understand what you do. But do it for the glory of God. Right? Do it in such a way that people know who God is. Do it in such a way that people sense that you're putting them before you are their job. If you're an accountant, you're the most boring person in the world. Any accountants in here? Nobody's going to fess up to it now, are you? You're not an accountant. You were nine years old. Stop it. And, and, and so you have these, be an accountant where your faith comes through. See, what John is saying is these two things don't have to be separate. But, but it goes deeper, and Paul will take it a little bit deeper. Because, because what your job is, like not, not everybody is fired up to go to their job every day. I get it. Right? Not, not everybody goes to work and is like, this is going to be the best day ever. Like some of you are dreading tomorrow morning because you're going to wake up and you're like, oh, here we go again. Right? And your job is punching a clock and it's getting a check and what you do for your work just gets you through the month. But see, God has a calling for you because every single one of us, we have a job, most of, not all of us, most of us have job, but every single one of us has a calling Every single, the, the, the Latin word would be vocation, right? That's the English translation of the Latin word, but it's vocation. We all have this vocation. We all have this, we all have this thing that, that God has put inside of us, this passion, this desire, these gifts that where they all line up and man, that's, where you, that's your zone, that's your lane. That's the thing that you should be and that's the thing that when you think about it, it just gives you life. That's when you're like, man, I know how my wake will be most beneficial to the kingdom of heaven is when I'm operating here. Yeah, I do this other thing. I have a job and I get through the day and I, it's a grind and all that stuff. And, and I can be a light of Jesus there, but oh man, it's not my calling. If you, can, if you can get paid to do your calling, God bless you. That's the best thing. But not everybody has that. But see what Paul says to the people of Colossae, he's like, man, look, anytime you're working, anytime you're doing something, do so as if you're doing it for God, not for man. Do so as if you're serving Jesus Christ, our master. And when you do it, Oh man, when you find that place, when you find that calling, when you, the kingdom of heaven comes with you. I, I had, um, I was a teacher, you, you all know this, um, I was a fifth grade teacher many years ago and, and there's a guy, who was, uh, his name was Darren and he was one of our custodians. I taught fifth grade, Wincrest Elementary, so it's, we were the top and it was all little people below and Wincrest was an old school and we had a flea epidemic uh, when I was there. It made the news. We were kicked out of our, uh, the entire campus, had to leave, go to Roosevelt High School because the fleas were so bad. Um, they had to like bomb it, uh, essentially. It was, it was really ugly. 
Um, it, but we had this guy, Darren. He was six foot seven, huge guy. I mean, just a ginormous dude. And if you have a dude, a custodian that's six foot seven, walking around little kinder through third graders, like fourth and fifth graders have enough attitude they can handle it. But he's a monster, right? I mean, he's a dude. He's walking around pulling a pail, like stuff like that. And Darren, let's think about having a, a custodian job at an elementary school for just a second. Like, think about what happens at elementary schools. Like, I don't know if you have been in one recently, but um, lice outbreaks, right? Anybody want to, like, start scratching their head right now? Like, lice outbreaks happen. And, and what do you do? You call on the custodians. Hey, man, we got, we got lice in room 23, right? And, you know, here he comes in with his gloves, hairnet on, just spraying the whole place down, vacuuming everything up, right? Toilet backups all the time. Why? Because kids like to see things flush through the toilet, things that can't go down, right? And then my favorite, throw up. You know, I mean, because like little kids, they don't have the control. Like when they feel like, I think I'm going to be sick. Okay, we'll get blah. You know, it's like bam, right? This is what happens to us. So when I was teaching, um, I think it was my last year, it was the year that I met Jenna and I had her sub for me. And I asked her this morning, she didn't remember this kid, but his name was Chip. And everybody who has ever taught has a chip in their class, right? I would wager you that my chip beats all of yours. Um, chip is one of the reasons why I don't teach anymore. Um, so Chip, the, I mean, I, I, one of the first days, he's a, he was a redheaded kid, and, and with, he brought with him that redheaded anger um, and deviousness. He was a brilliant kid, super smart, a kid who could cure cancer or rule the world for his evil purposes, right? I mean, he was like one of those kids and, and, and he would walk in and, and he'd try to test me at every, th- every moment. He would walk in because he felt like he was smarter than me and <laughs> probably was, but he came in, he'd be like, um, hey, on the way to school this morning, we were on 410. I'm like, dude, you live five blocks away from here. I was on 410 with my mom and, uh, and I opened the door and I was halfway out and she pulled me back in and I was just, I was gonna jump, but. Yeah, I decided not to today. Wait, what? <laughs> like, are you telling me that you're gonna, you want to end it all at ten? And and so for and he was testing me, because these stories got got bigger and bolder, and and it was through an entire year, and finally to the point where he'd come in and say like, "Hey, you know, I, I was we were driving, and I, I almost jumped out of the car again." I'm like, "Why not? Just do it, Chip." Like, I mean, just. Why would you say that, Mr. Crocker? Well, why would you say that to me in the first place, man? We know this isn't going anywhere, right? We would have these kind of conversations. His greatest trick, though, um, was anytime a t- test was coming um, or something that he didn't want to do, which is a lot of times, he would make himself throw up. And I, I don't, like, y'all know I'm a germ freak, right? And I didn't like what was happening in the school to begin with. And kindergartners coming up and hugging him like, oh my gosh, stay away from me. Um, and, and so I, I go in, and this kid would, anytime there was some big deal, he would make himself throw up. And we sat in these tables, like, remember how you, in elementary school, where you have like four desks and they make a table and stuff. And, and he'd sit there. And by the end, I had to move him sitting by himself because like he would make himself throw up and throw up all over the other desks and the kids. And everybody would freak out and scream. And I'd have to call Big Darren in, right? I mean, all, all the, it was just nasty. Like, the, who likes to throw up in here? Exactly, right? Nobody does. It's horrible. And so this kid, and I couldn't stop him. And, and the principal couldn't stop him. It was just, and you didn't know when the bomb was going to go off. It was just going to go off. And, and so there, was, there would be times where we'd throw up and, oh, my gosh. And, so, and, I, and I wouldn't even, I'd send him to the office, not to the nurse. <laughs> You're not sick, dude. Go to the office. And, uh, and I'd call Darren. Darren, I need you down here, man. 
And he'd show him, we're leaving. And he'd show up and he's just big old, I mean, just huge dude. And he'd show up with his mop and his bucket. And he got, did he do it again? <laughs> oh man, that chip. Like, why, why are you so happy about this? Like, I get to walk out to the playground with my kids and like not have to do the work that we're about to do and play kickball with them. And you have to go clean this. Like, you know what's about to happen time and time again. And he would just come in, oh, that chip. And I, and I did, I asked him one time, I'm like, hey, Darren, how, how do you do this? He goes, I love God. It, end, of, end of his statement, that was it. And, and I was like, what, well, wait, I, what? Like, I, I love God too. He's like, no. He's like, I love me some Jesus. And he went to this black church over on the east side of town and, and, they, and he would tell me they, they would throw down for Jesus. And you know what his calling was? It wasn't to be a janitor. His calling wasn't to be a custodian. His calling was to breathe the love of God. His calling was wherever he went, he was this giant force for the kingdom of heaven. He was this literal giant who would walk in with this huge smile on his face. Just, and every time anybody would see him, you should be like, Darren's here. Like, just throw up on the ground, but Darren's here. And it was just this presence that he brought about him because he knew what his calling was. It wasn't to be a custodian. It was to live the kingdom of God right now. See, my calling, my calling is not to be a pastor. I, that's not, I, I've, I've tried to stop being a pastor many times and God keeps going, stop it. But that's not my real calling. It's my job. But my real calling is to bring Jesus to people in ways that they don't expect. See, my, my calling, the thing that gives me passion and the thing that, that I daring up about is, is when I get to introduce Jesus to people in ways that, that bring Jesus into reality in their life. Like I, I get to talk to them in ways, I get to show up in places that they don't expect and I'm like, hey, I'd like an old fashioned. They're like, whoa, you're a pastor, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, Jesus is cool, ain't he? I get to introduce him, because like, people think Jesus is this weird dude who, who is very holy than now and, and like stuffed shirt and all these things. And I'm like, no, he's not. He was like us. And, he, and he's here for you. And, and that's, that's my calling, is to break down the walls that Christianity has built of who, about who Jesus is to people who would never expect it. I, I remember, because let, let me tell you, um, pastors aren't what they used to be, right? I mean, pa people don't give credit to pastors anymore like they used to. We're not revered in society the same way teachers aren't either. And, and, and there's this one, it was a, a good friend of mine, and um, I, I, we got into this uh, organization together at the same time and, and was, we were getting together as a group, our class, and we were meeting for the first time. And I've told this story before in here, but um, <laughs> we're, we're meeting, introducing ourselves to one another and I, and I walk up to this guy and he turns around and, and we both have a beer and he's like, hey, how you doing? You know, what's your name? I'm like, My name's Michael. And he told me his and, and, and I said, um, hey, what do you do for a living? He goes, oh, I work for uh, Wortham Insurance. And I'm like, oh, that's so boring. Um, I didn't say that. That's what I thought in my head. I was like, oh, that's cool, man. I know some other people there. That's great. And, you know, tossed a little bit about it. And he goes, what do you do? And I went, I'm a pastor. And, and no lie, this is what he does. He didn't say a word. He just turned and walked away from me. Like just out of nowhere. It just turned and walked away. And, I'm like, and I was like, well, that's new. 
I mean, a lot of times people go through their minds of what did I just say to him? Did I cuss? Was I saying something inappropriate? Things like that. He just literally turned and walked away. A few years later, I do his funeral. He died of cancer. And I was with him a lot towards the end. And I saw his faith go from somebody who walked away from me as a pastor to hugging me and depending on me as a brother in Christ. See, my calling is, is much more than my job. And so is yours. Some of you have jobs. Some of you have jobs that you love, that you affect change, and that you're amazing at. Some, some of you have the opportunity to, in your job, bring the kingdom of heaven with you. Some of you don't. Some of you don't work. Some of you don't have jobs that you get paid, and, and you're like, well, how does this apply to me? You still have a calling. You still have something that God wants you to do. You still have a wake to leave. You still have change that you can make by the way that you live your life and the things that you do and, and using the gifts and the graces that God has given you. So my question is, what is it for you? What is it that, that God has put on your heart that he's like, no, 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 oh no, this is, this is it. This is who you are. This is what I long for you to do. This is what's gonna give you joy and passion because when you find that moment, let me tell you, that's what you find is joy and passion and drive. So, so, so what is your calling? What, what is God asking you, um, asking you to do? Whatever stage of life you are, you have a calling and it, and it changes over time. You know, when, when you're younger, your calling's gonna, gonna look differently and maybe more active and more engaged than it is when you get older. Maybe it's more of a wisdom and, and relational as, as you get older. But what, whatever it is, God has, God has put something on your heart and said, look, man, I need you to see the wake that you're leaving and the potential wake that you could leave. I need you to see the change that you can make in the kingdom of heaven if you just step into the path that I have for you. And oh my gosh, I, ma I made you so amazingly well and like nobody else. There is no one who can do what you can do. I don't know if you've ever been told that, but, but there is no one who can do what you can do. Nobody who can affect change in the kingdom of heaven the way that you can. And God's just sitting there going, oh man, Oh, I can't wait for her to use those gifts. I can't wait for him to step in. I can't wait to see what they do. So what is it for you? What, what, what is the place where, where God is calling you? I mean, maybe you're a tax collector and God bless you, God love you. Maybe you're a soldier, I, I don't know what you are. You're a doctor, you're, you're a lawyer, you're a custodian or a teacher, maybe a pastor, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, maybe you're a volunteer somewhere, whatever it is, it doesn't define you. What defines you is that you're a child of God. And the calling that you have is to affect change, to leave awake for the kingdom of heaven. But what is it for you? How can you answer that call? My, my hope is that, that we are people who who like me so often when, as soon as you hit that buoy line, you're hammering down and leaving as much wake as you can. Because we live in a world and in a time that people need to feel the love of God. And it's, if it's not from us, from whom will they feel it? May we be wake makers. Thank you. Miracle workers, promise keepers.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and praise you. I thank you and praise you so much for the men and women in this community, for the, for the ways that you have shaped them and changed them, for the ways that you have made them to be wake makers. God, I pray that, that if somebody, I mean, some of us in here right now, our heart's been beating faster and, and we're like, we know, God, man, we know, we know, we know where you have called us and the calling that you have set before us. And we're excited about it. Some of us, God, our, our heart's beating because we don't. And we're worried and our hands are a little clammy and we're like, but, but is, what do you have for me? God, for those of us who, who are in that place right now, I just pray that you would shout into their hearts, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is what I have for you. This is the path that you can blaze like nobody else and the waves that you can leave behind. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to hammer down and to leave the kingdom of heaven behind us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name, amen. Would you stand? We're gonna worship one more time. And, and I have to tell you, some of y'all were here when I mentioned it, some of you weren't, but we're about to pass the plate as we always do. And, and y'all are such a generous, generous congregation. We're so blessed by it and so thankful and, and just amazed by your generosity. And, um, this, the first week of December was Be Rich Sunday and, and over $40,000, a little over $40,000 went out the doors um, to different ministries on that one Sunday. That is such an amazing thing to praise God for because of your generosity and that's who you are. And so we're so thankful for that and, and, and what you give allows uh, our church uh, to let other people know that they're loved and to release people into the freedom that God wants for them. And so God, we pray that you would receive this offering and, and that you would bless those who give it, that as they give to you, you would give back to them as you say in scripture, God, trust me in this, test me in this, and I will open the windows of heaven and your storehouses will not be able to contain what I give. And so God, we give to you and pray that you would magnify it and through your spirit that others may know of your glory. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. The church said, amen. Thank you.